the cultural fit is important, but if they can't do the work itself, the cultural fit is kind of irrelevant, right? If they do great work, then I can work on the cultural fit. And that's why we don't just hire people off the street. Like we do interview, we do, you know, val make sure they are who they say they are and, and all of that. My perspective is like, if I was going to hire a new, like if I was going to replace my current VP of operations, that would be a long process. What are we talking about on the Grow Your Damn Business podcast? We're talking about business, specifically your business. Is it growing or are you stuck? How painful is that growth? Is it running you or are you running it? Are you working in your business or on your business? On the Grow Your Damn Business podcast, we explore these questions and much more. Expect a lively, spirited discussion about what it takes to grow your damn business. And now, onto the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Grow Your Damn Business podcast. I'm your host, Scott Goodrich, and thank you all for joining us here this week. My guest this week is Drew Donaldson. Drew is the CEO and founder of Growhouse, a marketing firm, and uh, I do believe we're talking to him from Pennsylvania today. Drew, welcome to the show. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me. Pennsylvania, correct? Uh, South Central Pennsylvania, just uh, about 40 minutes outside of Hershey Chocolate. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you. I think our first guest from the Pennsylvania area. So we'll just put that on the list here. We're going to make our way across the whole <laughs> U.S. here. Eventually, we try to have a, have a broad reach here with uh, the guests that, that are on the show. So, Drew, you've had your business since, uh, I think, uh, oh, let's see, 15 years now. Is that right? Is that what I read on there? Is it? Uh, yeah. Well, I, I, I've been in business for myself for the past 15 okay. years. This, this particular iteration I've had, uh, I started right at the beginning of the pandemic, um, okay. July, or, uh, January of 2020. Uh, which is probably the greatest time to start a business in uh, world history, but a lot of a lot of a lot of great things. And not, you're actually not the first person I had from there. We had a little bit of the opposite thing. My uh, my wife, after having a long long career working with, within a nonprofit organization, decided without us knowing that she, that had come to a close. So literally, think what there was like a Wednesday when when the NBA canceled a game where everyone realized that this was a thing. You know, it was kind of yeah up there. and then so it was that previous couple of days before that where she decided she was done so she cool. stopped a job right right before then so yeah who knew right uh, yeah. just the way things the way things shifted well tell us a little bit about grow house and then we'll get into kind of how you got started and like you said having your own business for for quite some time love to have that journey of of the twists and turns but let's talk about what grow house does today and then we'll we'll flip it around and talk a little bit about how you got to where you are Sure. So uh, Grow House is a strategy first marketing agency where we focus more on the people behind the businesses and helping them really uncover what makes their business special and what the real growth potential is. So uh, we provide all the regular agency services, but we don't front load that stuff. We're not going to ever catch me with a presentation deck talking about how many blog posts I'm going to create for you or how we're going to run your social media, because at the end of the day, that stuff's pretty irrelevant. Um, what is relevant is revenue. And so as a strategy focused firm, the primary reason that people bring me into their business in the first place is because they're having trouble making their revenue numbers. So we work with everybody who is just starting out. You could be a totally bedroom entrepreneur with an idea all the way up to seven and eight figure businesses. Uh, but we only work with people who are passionate about their business. We're not into the get rich quick. We're not into people who are just in it for the money. Uh, so we, we are very selective about who we work with. Um, and we don't take a lot of clients uh, because I am intimately uh, involved with every single one of my clients. So I, I know their families, I know their their backgrounds, their businesses front, back and sideways. So so that's a, it's an interesting way to, way to niche your business and, and talk quite a bit about that. I think the, the better that you know your niche, the better off you're going to be in, in terms of growing your own business as you help others do the same. How did that come around? What was some of the, the things that led you to make that call? Because it's tough when you're trying to build a business. You 
client's a client, right? I want to want to grab some, and there's got to be that temptation. So, how did you niche down as quickly as you have? Because it's really only been a few years in, in this, as you said, in this particular iteration of Grow House. So. It really did start in 2020. I mean, I, I was a corporate consultant back then, and I, I knew that my contract was going to be up probably around the end of the year, and I didn't really want to go to re-up it. I wasn't really satisfied with the work. I was pretty bored at that point, uh, sitting in board, or I was working remotely at that time, but you know, presenting in the virtual boardroom and then having my ideas kind of thrown in the waste paper basket. And so I was uh, I was looking for a new opportunity, and I thought, you know, wouldn't it be great if I could take these things that I know work that I'm having success with at the corporate level and bring them to small town America, which is where I grew up. I mean, both of my parents were business owners. My family's full of business owners. That's that's all the people I knew up knew growing up own businesses of some capacity, whether they're farmers or people that sold shoes or insurance or what have you. And so I just was trying to figure out how to solve that puzzle. And so I started 2020 interviewing business owners, just trying to see like, what could the offering look like? And as I was starting 2020, I was pitching services that were very much in line with traditional agency. Oh, yeah, I'm going to come in and do your blogs and your social and all the, all this stuff, because I was just looking at what other people were doing and having success with. And I was like, well, that's the model. That's that's what I need to do. But then March happened, the world shut down. And now this little experiment I was running now became a research assignment because no one was going to buy anything for me for the next nine months. I was sure of that. Because who, who, no one had money to spend. No one had customers to market to. And, and no one knew, right? What, what I, you know, who, who, the, the uncertainty was, was as much as anything else, right? Yeah, two, I mean, two weeks to stop the spread, right? That quickly uh, elapsed in a blink of an eye. And now all of a sudden we're in a whole different world that no one knows what's going on. But what I was able to do is take that time and keep interviewing businesses and keep learning about what did they actually need from a from a marketing agency, where were they not being served by marketing agencies? And time and time again, people came back with the same five or six complaints is that the marketing agencies I can't afford do great work. The marketing agencies I can afford take my money and run. And the courses that people try to sell me don't work. They're not supported. They're too expensive, et cetera, et cetera. And so very quickly, I figured out like, hey, there's a pain point here in the way that there's a mismatch in the services being provided to these people and what they actually need to grow their business. And so solving that puzzle was then became the challenge. That was that was the now the goal was not just to provide, you know, marketing services, but to, how do I how do I help these people get a better handle on marketing in a way that actually generates revenue? So at the end of uh, 2020, I ended up crossing paths with two other marketers that coincidentally were launching a business with a very same mindset. Uh, and so for the first year of our operation, 2021, we teamed up, we ran the business together for a year. Uh, within the first three months of starting our, our marketing, we scaled to 100K. Uh, and then th after a year and a month, I guess, or oh, yeah, a year and a month, they came to me and said, hey, we want to invest in some other businesses. What do you think about buying us out? And I jumped at the opportunity, bought them out last year and uh, been running it uh, myself and with my team uh, since then. We've just we've had uh, incredible growth because we're one of the only companies in the market that that do what we do. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that. So you, the interviewing process is an interesting one. So first off, just facing the fact that this is a great opportunity to to, to really learn. Uh, it's, oftentimes, you're just trying to figure out 
what we're doing on the fly, right? And the the usual like let's let's put the wheels in this car while we're running or change the tires while the car's operating, and that's a, a lot of businesses are faced with that because you've got to have that uh, revenue keep coming in even while you're thinking about what is the the true area that you want to spend your time in that true niche. Um, how did companies react? As you said, I want to interview. Did they think it was something else? Would they think, oh, you're just doing that to to sell me something down the line? Like what what was that like as you did your did your research as it were, and, and talking to some different clients? It was unbelievably easy. It, it was the easiest. Yeah, I, I can't imagine another set of scenarios that would have led to an easier discovery process for me because everyone was lonely. Everybody was nervous. No one knew what to do. And jumping on the phone with a marketer that might be able to drop some nugget of wisdom that helps them knowing full well that they're not going to buy anything from me. It was the total low pressure ask. And so I think what I found out over that year, the reason people were so open is because they didn't have a choice. They couldn't afford to be guarded because they didn't know if, you know, if this, if everything opens up in three months, I'm going to be good. If everything opens up in six months, I'm underwater. And so I think people were just naturally more open to ideas and, and sharing their experience and sharing their pain. Um, cause I think everyone was kind of in that mindset, whether you owned a business or not, uh, sharing the, the loneliness of being at home all the time and not seeing your neighbors and not being able to hang out with friends and all of that, I just think created this a very open society at the time as closed off as we were physically we were much more open uh, emotionally and mentally yeah I mean, it probably did be a little easier didn't, didn't have to drive anywhere do anything it wasn't formal it could be informal hey let's grab yeah. 30 minutes right the, the, the virtual coffee uh, was born and then there you go i mean that's what ends up happening right the, that's the the birth of the virtual coffee chat i won't call him out by name but during that time i was consulting i was on a call with a ceo of a very large financial firm that everybody would know and he stood up from his couch and he's wearing rocket ship pajamas and i just <laughs> i found that was the funniest thing i was like no one i've seen you on cnbc no one yeah. would believe that you're doing these interviews awesome. in rocket ship pajamas but That's yeah fantastic. so but people just kind of put their guard down they just didn't care yeah. it was just like yeah i'm at home in rocket ship pajamas what are you gonna do the silver lining in a, in a tough time for for a lot of businesses, and the silver lining for in, in this case, you turn turn something that could have been a real real challenge into that. Uh, let me let me go back a little bit. You, you mentioned it. one of, one of the things I always like to find out is why. Right? So why are you doing your own thing as opposed to working for somebody else? Not, you've had a taste of both, but a lot of experience and observation of what the family was like. So just tell me about about, about you said family and friends. That this was your these were your models. They ran, ran and owned their own businesses. Just what what was that like, and and how did that How'd you get bitten by that bug? If you were, cause it's cause some follow and others say, I'm not doing that. I, I can't stand that risk and uncertainty. I gotta, I gotta go work and, and be a W2 and, and get a paycheck every couple of weeks. So I, I definitely blame my dad for the initial inspiration because he, you know, all throughout my early life, he always talked about owning his own business and he was a vice president at, a, at an ag bank out here. So he was, you know, in charge of loaning money to farmers who were themselves small business owners. And so I got to sit at kitchen table conversations with him while he would go out and talk to these farmers about, you know, the money they needed and, and everything. And he used to be able to drive down the street and point to all the tr different tractors. And he said, I, I gave the guy the money to buy that tractor. I, I know it because there's only one in this county and that's that's the one. And so it was it was really cool to be able to see all these businesses and all the inner working and then hear him talk about it and see him study and see him do all the planning. And, you know, this was before the Internet was the Internet we have today. So this was all on you know, legal sheets and, and paper and graph paper, hand drawing notes, and just seeing the passion that he would come home from a full day of work and then pour his heart into this. 
um, and then see him eventually get it, eventually have that business and and attend the launch of that business and see all these people around him supporting him. It just was like, that's what I want to do. Like, forget a corner office. Like, that doesn't seem appealing to me. I want to be here. I want, you know, I, I want that uh, feeling. And that just always stuck with me. Um, I think as I've gotten older, really the the reason for wanting to to work is is probably this or work for myself is probably the same my dad had at the time, which is he wanted to spend more time with his family. Uh, that's my main motivator. Like uh, the fact that I can dictate my schedule to a certain point and I can say, you know what, I'm not going to work Mondays and Fridays, or I'm going to you know take a long weekend here or there, uh, is fantastic. And I don't have to ask permission from anybody. I tell my clients, hey, I need to take some time off. They're, they understand. And I say, we'll catch you back up next week. And there's just, there's that freedom of making your own way and setting your own goals. And the unlimited ability to grow, I think is just like, that's the part in consulting I always was frustrated with, which is like, I'm tired of someone else deciding what my value is. Like, I know what my value is and I'm going to charge what my value is. And, you know, if you don't agree, well, then we don't have business together. And so I think the those things really kind of caught up with me in, in a really meaningful way as all this was happening. And I just thought, you know, the only way I'm really going to be happy long term is if I am killing what I eat, like to, to put it you know, bluntly, like I, I need to be the one out there and, and making these decisions, not someone else making them. Yeah. All right. So I spawned a couple of questions. Let me start with this one. Um, it's a challenge, right? So it sounds like you've you've got to this place where that balance exists and that you are owning your schedule. And obviously, I think the the dream of a lot of folks is having to go in business for myself is not having to, re, re, you know, report back to someone, right? They have, the, the, the dream is flexibility. The reality becomes, I'm in this thing all the time and I can't shut it down or I'm starting a home-based business or I've now got this small little company, I've got five people I've got employed, I got to make sure I make payroll and, and it ends up consuming them in the flexibility. It becomes a pipe dream. It becomes something they can't grasp onto because they, they, they can't get out of their own way. They're, they're just like, I started this thing for one reason, but the reality is that I'm overwhelmed. H have you ever felt that? And if you hadn't, how did you strike that balance so early on in your journey? Uh, I've absolutely felt that way. I mean, within, you know, after those first three months of advertising, uh, the end of that story, the punchline is that we couldn't sell anymore. We, I literally had to shut off all the advertising because I could not take one more client. I had too many clients. I was working 12 hour days to serve all of these people. And I had literally no time on the calendar Monday through Friday to fit one more person in. And that continued, uh, pretty much through the next six months because I was having a hard time solving that problem because I saw the audience I wanted to serve. I saw that they were still in pain from COVID and I was having a hard time justifying morally raising prices to the level I needed to have. And I would have people tell me all the time, you need to raise prices. You need to raise prices. You need to raise prices. And eventually, uh, you know, I, I would say last year around this time, uh, you know, everybody has the kind of summer slump where you have like your J July, August churn. And I've, work with hundreds of businesses at this point. Everybody seems to have that kind of dead zone in the middle of summer. And we had it last year, but what made it worse was that I, my wife had given birth to our first daughter and I decided to take six weeks off to be with her and adapt to, you know, having a kid and, and all of this. And that exasperated the situation. And we very quickly, um, lost close to 80% of our monthly revenue in about 30 days. And 
that was that was really eye-opening to me that like i can't just i can't just take my eye off the the ball uh in, in that way like i have to be more concerted about how i take time and how i structure my schedule so i don't feel the need like and that's you know it's a little bit of a different circumstance but the reality was is i had no one in place to support me at that time i was it was me and my wife running the business what I've done since then was I've become very good at delegating tasks so that when I, I take ask, time right? off, yeah. <laughs> it, the <laughs> wheels did. keep rolling. Like just because I'm not here doesn't mean work stops. And so I think that was the biggest thing I took from that. And once once I was able to solve those two things, one, charge more for my time so I could take less clients and have more of that free time. And two, delegate off those responsibilities that listen, I don't need to be managing my own schedule anymore. Like that's now someone's job that I don't have to look at my calendar. They, they handle that for me. Uh, it's such a, a load off my back that it, it's helped manage that overwhelm. So what was that like that first one? Cause this is a concept that we talk quite a bit about within our, with our clients that, that are running on EOS. It's a, it happens for a lot of clients as they have to make these tough decisions, but that first step to to delegate and the, and the adding of that first and second and third resource, whether it's a full-time, part-time or contract. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to add resources, but that you, you immediately ratchet up the complexity and you also have to let go a little bit. So, so just tell me a little bit that, that first step and what was the fear of it? And then what's the, on the flip of it, like, what did it really allow for you to, to, to take on and to do? So my first time full, my first full-time employee we interviewed the day after my daughter was born. I was sitting in my car in the hospital parking lot on a Zoom meeting talking to her. And I did three interviews that day. And the other two just didn't give me any hope that they were going to be able to take this uh, over. And then she, I think, was my third interview. And immediately on talking to her, I was like, this, this, she's, she's gonna, she's gonna be able to pull us out of this. Like she's she alone has the right skill set to do all of the things I need to do, need her to do in the short term. And she has the leadership capability to when we add members to the team, I'm going to be able to put her in charge so that I don't have to manage everything. And I can, I can do the important client service work that my clients are counting on. And so it really was a, a total gut feeling. Uh, she, we were getting her through a recruiting firm and she turned down my first offer and I was so disappointed. That I reached back out to her and I was like, I will, I will pay you whatever you want. Like you got to come work for me. And we came to an understanding. She started working for me. She's been full-time with me almost since the beginning. I think I started her off part-time just because we had such a loss revenue wise. I couldn't, I was like, I can't afford you. I was like, we will pull out of this, no doubt. But like right now I can't afford you full-time. And, uh, I think we made her full-time after like 60 days and she has been, uh, she's my right hand. Like she, she runs the ship. She runs the team. I don't know what I could do without her. I'm constantly telling her she's just the most valuable player in the world. That was a, that was a big risk, but I just felt it in my gut. It was one of those things that I knew that she had the right capabilities for what I needed. So if you were to go back in time, you said, I'm going to reference a, a book that I've read recently here that we talk quite a bit about in, in our business is just who, not how. And, and, and first, I don't know if you've ever read that one, but it's a, it's a great one. that talks about making sure that you have all the right who's around you and worry less about the how, because, because the right who's won't, won't take it long. But the, one of the mistakes and people talk about is waiting too long for that first piece of, of delegation. And, and so if you could go back in time, was that the right time or should you have stepped into that a little bit earlier? Cause it's, cause it's a, oh, I, it's a great I, conversation for, uh, for 100%, I should have done it the day after I closed on the deal. Cause that, that was, that was the right time to do it in the, in the run up 
to that because if I would have had her, I guarantee I would have saved some of those clients uh, because I would have had someone looking after the day to day. And we might have even been able, I mean, we very quickly after we brought her on, we scaled to two, three, four, five, and to where we are now, where we have 10 people. So, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that once I was able to get that off my plate, it opened me up for so much more of the, the revenue generating work that it was just, it, it's like a rocket ship. It's like, as soon as you let go and you give someone else that control, it's amazing how much more you can accomplish. So I wish I would have done it April 1st. It's, a, it's an amazing, it's an amazing you know? thing. It's a hard thing to, to get folks arms around. For, yeah. I, I face it myself. I got a small business. I was so run a coaching practice, do, you know, building out a podcast, all these things that you take on, you start to like get what, you can't do them all yourself. You, you don't want to let it go because you want to have some of the control on it. And then you finally make that decision say, what was I waiting for to give some of this away, take some of this offer because it actually does free you up. And that one of the key messages in, in the who, not how you hit right on it is, is the freeing of it. And you can then focus on things you're good at, right? The You have some some talents, you have some expertise, you have the superpowers, we call them unique abilities, whatever you want to label them. You have those. And to the extent that you spend time doing stuff that's not that, it prevents you from, from making the jumps you've made. And so you've sounds like, I mean, you've gone from that second employee to employee number 10 very fast, very, very quickly once you made the first decision, but it was, it was that first hurdle to, to come across. I mean, it's, I think there's a million of those hurdles in business. It's the first time you run an ad campaign. It's the first time you, you know, you, uh, you, you go and, um, set open up your next location like you know the the first location's hard second location's a little bit easier but three four five and six are much much easier right because you have the model down you have the practice down so i think there's there's always those kind of first hurdles to go get over but once you clear it you realize oh this isn't so bad this isn't so scary like yeah you know what we did burn a little bit of our ad spend on at an ad that doesn't work but that's all right because we have two ads that are functioning right now so I think it's it's just one of those things that people are naturally risk averse for good reasons. That's how we, you know, prevented ourselves from being eaten by panthers when we were, you know, cavemen. But the the reality is, is that we all got into this business because we were not risk averse. So we chose the riskier option. We chose the path not traveled. We forget that, though. We we get complacent and we forget that owning a business is risky and that the way to grow a business is through calculated risk. So I think that's the the big thing is like just making sure that you're not looking at your business through this perspective of, oh, I can't lose what I've already built. Like, yes, that's important. I'm not saying go bet it all on red, but sometimes you do have those opportunities where you're like, you know what? In order for me to do more, I need more people or I need more assets or I need more trucks on the road, whatever it be. No, it's, it's a great, great point. So you talked about hitting one ceiling, which was just your time and your ability to actually handle that business that you now were, were faced with and the challenges there. We call them hitting the ceiling, right? You hit these points along the way. It happens with every business, every venture that you're out there. It could happen personally, or it could happen with the company as a whole, where you get to a point and look around and go, okay, we are we are stuck here. We, we have hit another block in the road, hit this ceiling. What what are we going to do? Can Beyond this first delegation piece, was can, can you give us a story about a, another ceiling that you've hit and what you did to overcome it, or still something you're faced with right now that is maybe another part of your business? No. So we were, uh, for a long time, we were hiring an outside firm to do our video editing. Now, this is something I, I ran a studio before, so I was very comf comfortable running editors, but I didn't really want to have one on staff because at the time we weren't doing enough video editing. Um, but as we started changing our service model and including different things, it became really apparent that we, we needed this as an asset. And what we found out is by having this third party, we were giving up a lot of control over the pace of work. 
right? We couldn't dictate to that company how fast we needed turnarounds. They would dictate to us. And that very quickly, we ran out of our leash there. Like we very quickly were like, we need this stuff quicker. We have clients waiting for this. We can't be waiting. And I was, it wasn't a money issue. It's an, I could have paid them more money. It wasn't going to speed up the turnaround. And so that's where we started looking for, uh, to bring on editors internally. And now we have two, uh, they are the awesome, they were friends before and we hired one and then we hired the other and they do a great job. They're, they're probably some of the best editors I've ever worked with. Uh, but they were the third and fourth editor we hired internally because you just, uh, I, I'm a big believer of hire someone, see if they work out, you know, see if they can do the work. If they can do the work, great. If not, let them go quick. Like just cycle through people quickly until you find the right match. And as soon as we found uh, the, the the first guy and then we got his friend, it was just immediate, like these guys are going to be able to, to pull us out. And we had gotten, uh, at the time, we had gotten really far behind on one of our client's projects. Luckily, the client is a very good friend of mine. So he was giving us a, a lot of grace that we probably didn't deserve. Uh, but he he was willing to do that for us uh, while we, we sorted this editing issue out. And uh, after a lot of hard work, we caught up with the backlog. Uh, and then that particular project I'm really proud of because we took him from about 200 downloads for his podcast per month uh, that he just sent me a screenshot yesterday, the month of August, he had 10,000 downloads. And so we've accomplished that in just about two and a half months. And so it, it paid off for him in the long run to be, to be patient. Sometimes you need to be patient, but that was like, I knew we had the capability. I knew we had the concept. I knew the material was good, but man, finding the right people to fill those jobs can be a challenge. Uh, and so I just... I would rather give people an opportunity to prove me wrong quickly as opposed to dragging out the hiring process and doing 15 different rounds of interviews. Like if I like someone, if I feel like there's a kinship, let's see if you can do the work. It's interesting. You know, we, we uh, and I, you're not, you're like many others, right? That you get that instinct and you, you have that feeling, you, you, you know, that matches there. We, but, we subscribe to something a little, little bit different in our school of thought, which is, hey, you've got to have the right person so that they actually fit your, your core values. And spending this time really screening around the core values is just important as making sure they can do the work. And so right person, right seat is, is a critical component of EOS. And we borrow that from Jim Collins, who's a guru in this space about making sure that you put everyone in the, in the right seats that can do the work. So using that screening process of the values and making sure that they're going to fit within the culture, that's actually going to carry you, right? That's getting the right who, to go back to what we talked about a little but getting that right who um, as, oh, as soon for, as you can. You're right. I, I think there's also a difference here in the roles I'm filling versus the roles some of your, your listeners might be filling. I'm filling creative roles that are very well-defined, right? I know because I've been doing this for 15 years, I know exactly what an editor needs to do. I know how fast they work. I know what tools they need. I know what the quality of work should be expected. The cultural fit is important. But if they can't do the work itself, the cultural fit is kind of irrelevant, right? Well, if yeah, they do but, great, yeah, yeah. yeah. If they do great work, then I can work on the cultural fit. The only, the, and that's why we don't just hire people off the street. Like we do interview, we do, you know, val- make sure they are who they say they are, and and all of that. Uh, my my perspective is like if I was going to hire a new, like if I was going to replace my current VP of operations, that would be a long process because she does so much. I'm not going to just put that massive responsibility on just someone's shoulders that I've only talked to a couple times. So I think there is a difference there. It's it's like if you have a very contained role that is, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that do that one specific activity. I, I prefer to hire fast, see if they can keep up with the pace and then uh, cycle through if they can't. 
uh, if it's someone that is holding a lot of levers, holding a lot of power in the business, then I, I totally agree with you. Slow is better. Yeah. You know, and it doesn't have to be slow. It, for, for us, what I was going to get at there is it, both those things have to be true. So the right person, right seat, it, it, we're speaking to, hey, they, they fit, but then they have the education, the experience, the knowledge to do the work I need them to do. Because, right, it, you've got a very defined set of skills that you need to, to bring on when you're bringing someone on. So that, that saying those things go hand in hand, they, they go together. But I, I definitely agree with you that if you identify that there is a mess either on right person or, or right seat, then you move on quickly, right? You don't want to let that linger because that that is very damaging, particularly in a small organization. You just can't afford to have that hanger. Well, and it, it's bad for morale because if you have a sure. bunch of other people who are doing the job and they're showing up to team meetings and you're constantly chastising, you know, one or two people for not pulling their weight, that that's like, well, why are, why are we working so hard when these guys get a pass? Like, what's the what's the consequence for doing that? So I'm a big fan of, of you know, really keeping like the team as a team and like we shouldn't be giving people giving people you know the ability to slack off just because they're a nice person or because their work is really great it's like listen if if you do great work but it takes you twice as long as the the guy you're sitting next to that's a mismatch for us like we need everybody pulling at the same pace it's like a you know a dog sled team if if, if one dog is is lame in that team it throws the whole team off and so we need to make sure that that everybody is pulling at the same rate. Yeah, great, great. One more question for you, just as we talked uh, earlier on about, about Nation and how you've gotten down to really the area of focus. Uh, one thing that always intrigues me is, ha, ha, has there ever been a time when you, you've chased something that was not around that niche or that core focus where you, you kind of went off and said, oh, this client asked me to do something I'm going to do it because I like the client, but it's really not core to what we do. And and what was the outcome? First of all, did you ever have sort of that chase something different, that that shiny object? Um, have you been guilty of that at all? Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, I still so there's, you know, back 15 years ago when I first started my first creative services business, you know, we got really well known for websites. And so we have a huge library and we still do websites for clients. We're not, it's not like we're out of that game, but it's very rare we do just a website. Like usually it's part of a larger uh, a larger uh, consulting arrangement. And so it's it's a little odd for stuff like that to come in. Yet, I just had a, a, a national nonprofit come in. We're going to do their website because why not? It's good money. We have the skills. We have the talent. Is it outside of our wheelhouse? Yes. But I'm also not going out and soliciting those jobs either, right? Like I'm staying focused on our core stuff. If stuff comes and falls in our lap, well, why not? That's, that's not a bad deal. Um, we also have uh, a client out in the UK where we run webinars for them. Webinars are not really our core business anymore. Back in my consulting days, that was a big part of what we did kind of before everybody got webinared out uh, over yeah. the pandemic. Uh, but it's not really a, a focal point anymore. But I'm not going to kick them to the curb because they're not a distraction. Have you had anywhere you've just said to a client, I'm not, I'm not going to do that anymore because it does take take time and energy away from the things that we want to focus on? Have you had any nah. of those situations where you've turned, turned that back? Because that can be empowering. It, it can be tough to say, look, that's not right for us. And here's a great referral to someone who is in that space. Well, I, I would say the, the big thing I push back on with clients is clients that want us to do SEO because I'm not a big believer okay. in SEO. And so, you know, when it comes down to it and people say, oh, well, so you'll, you can help us with our content. You can help us with our ads. Yes, yes, no problem. You can help us optimize our website. Yeah, of course we can. You, you'll help us get to the top of Google. Be like, as long as you're buying paid ads. Because if you're talking <laughs> SEO, I'm not doing it. Because I don't believe right, in it. Gotcha. I don't think it's valuable. I think it's, it's, a, it's a money pit, if anything else. So like those clients, when people bring up that, 
Um, the other thing that we turned down is, is like I said earlier, anyone that's just chasing an easy buck, uh, I don't work with MLMs. I don't work with get rich quick schemes. I don't get with, I don't work with people who I feel like the reason they're in this business isn't to actually serve people. It's just to make money. Um, because I think there's a, a values mismatch there. Well, it's a, yeah, it's empowering. Exactly right. You mentioned it right there. And if you really stay true to your core values, then not only do you have the right folks working for you, but then the clients that you attract are actually those right ones. So it all fits in fits in very nicely, right? And come, comes together very nicely. So awesome. Awesome. Hey, this is great. So Drew, Drew where are you going next? So, so just as we kind of get towards the end, I always like to say, you know, you got 10 employees now, you're there. What, what's that next year, three years look like? Have you, have you thought about what the, what the futures look like for your firm and, and where you're going to take it? Yeah, so I'm in the in the short term. One of the things we're working to optimize is our low ticket coaching programs uh, because mm-hmm. those have a lot of um, expandability. I can take I can see a lot more people in that program. I still want to keep it tight. It's still not the cheapest thing in the world to to join our low ticket program, but it is much more affordable than our consulting or agency services. Um, in the in the top end of the funnel or, or in the, the top end of the market, we're really looking to grow the agency practice. Uh, by taking some of those clients that we've helped at the coaching and consulting level now that their businesses have matured and moving them into uh, uh, more enterprise agency level services. And so that's really our model is like, we want to come in, we want to work with you one-on-one initially, get a good strategy in place, get the good kind of fundamentals under, and then we'll take it over from you. Uh, I don't think there's a, a ton of value of us coming in turnkey and starting up if you don't have a lot of that that groundwork done because then we're, we're starting on shaky ground and, and then it's just not going to be good for either of us. Not to mention, we're still going to have to do the work. I'm just going to have to charge you twice as much for it. So that's kind of our, uh, our, our uh, plans for the future. And we just can't plan to keep uh, helping people start from zero and become heroes. Nice. Nice. Love it. <laughs> Love that little tag there. Very nice. Very nice. Drew, thank you so much for, for sharing your, your, your story and, and sharing a little bit about your, your business and, and the, where, where you've taken today and where it's headed. It's awesome to hear that. I'm going to pivot a little bit over there. As I t- told you a little bit earlier, we're going to hit you with, with five questions that have nothing to do with anything, but it gives us a chance to get to know you a little bit, a uh, little bit better. Um, so uh, first question is, do you have a favorite sports team or athlete? Anyone that, uh, that you like, like or follow? Bryson DeChambeau. I like yeah, that guy. Golf. I love it. I love the it. Cool and, guy. and yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, going I, his own way, right? He's a going his own way kind of guy. Get a, get a theme there. Yeah. Well, I just, I just, I got took my clubs in to get regripped and I got the J Max grips that he uses. Uh, cause I, I have like, I was reading about why he uses those. And I was like, I have that same yeah. problem. I, I gripped down way too hard. And yeah. so, and then I just think a lot of the way he plays golf, it just aligns mentally with the, how I'm like, when I first started playing, I was like, why are the clubs all different lengths? I have to change swing angles for everyone. And then I'm seeing like, he has all of his clubs the same length. I was like, genius. That's exactly what I, <laughs> like, I didn't know you could do that. So it's like, I, I think there's a lot yeah, of, uh, a lot of what he does is really interesting. Yeah. Guy that, guy that I know actually who owns a, a club company, uh, Bryson started playing his driver. Uh, so we'll be interested to see if he continues to do that. But it, Bryson was playing his driver when he shot 58 recently. So pretty oh, yeah. pretty cool little little connection for his company as well. He's a monster. Um, yeah, he sure, he sure is. Uh, Drew, if, for, what would you eat if it was your last meal? So the last meal you'd eat, what, what would be the food that you'd eat? Guilt-free, obviously. Family-sized box of Kraft macaroni and cheese and a tall glass of milk with ice. I thought about it. <laughs> do, do you have a dream vacation spot, someplace that uh, that maybe you've been or would like to go? South Dakota, uh, Black Hills, South Dakota is one of the most beautiful really? places I've ever been. You got the Badlands out there, pretty close by Mount Rushmore. It's just really, um, 
it, it, when they say big sky country, and I know that's kind of Montana, but it's that whole area is just like, yeah. it feels like another planet. It, it's just so beautiful. And um, I had a great, I took a trip there a few years ago and I, I think that's definitely it. Closer to home. I mean, I'm a mountains guy. I'm not a beach guy. So any anywhere that there is going to be mountains and trees and creeks and that's that's where I want to be. So funny you bring up South, South Dakota. So uh, just getting back from our quarterly uh, meeting with, with uh, fellow EOS implementers and and uh, some one of my peers from South Dakota was, you know, asked me to name the few things about South Dakota. I started rattling off. He goes, oh, you know, South Dakota, and that's Black Hills we talked about, Mount Rushmore. I'm like, yeah, but South Dakota, we know. We know. <laughs> it's so funny that you bring it up timing, timing wise. Um, do you have a favorite rewatchable movie or maybe a TV streaming show that, that you just love that, you, that that's kind of top of mind right now? Yeah. Uh, so noise is off. Uh, it's this little film. Not a lot of people have ever seen it. It's got, um, uh, I can't remember. I can't even remember the, the, the guy's name now. It's got a really, it's got a really impressive cast. It, it, it's, um, it's about a play that goes terribly wrong and it's about the cast that keeps tripping over themselves. And it's this phenomenally hilarious movie based on a theater production and uh, it was one of the things that my wife and I first connected on because I loved the movie. She loved the movie. We had never, ever met anyone else that loved the movie before. And like on our first date or something, we were talking about like what movie we wanted to watch. This is in the days before Netflix. And she's flipping through my DVD collection. She's like, you have noises off. And I was like, oh, yeah, I love that movie. She's like, you love, love noises. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And so we that is kind of one of those movies that we, can, we watch 100 times. Perfect. We laugh at the same bits. We rem- we memorize the lines. We there's a couple lines from it that we will yell to each other from across the house. Uh, so yeah, I think that's probably my pick. Perfect. That's great. And great story to go along with it. And then finally, uh, just a piece of advice or a favorite quote that you like to share. Quotes are hard. I don't remember a lot of quotes, but I will, t- I will tell you this. I think patience and kindness go a lot, of, a long way in our uh, world today. Um, that and authenticity, I, I think is really the secrets to my success. Fantastic. Fantastic. Drew, thank you so much for spending so much time with us and giving us a little insight into who you are as well. Um, how can folks reach out? Do they learn more about you? How do they connect with you? Give us a c- couple of places to, to send uh, anyone that's listening that wants to learn a little bit more about your business. Sure. So you can find us as a grow house on most of the major uh, social platforms, G-R-O-H-A-U-S. And you can find our website, uh, growhouse.org. Uh, so again, G-R-O-H-A-U-S. And uh, there you can book a free coaching call with me. If you're having some struggles with marketing, we can see what we can work out and uh, if, if we're going to be a good fit to work together. Great. Thank you for that uh, offer and a great opportunity. And I really appreciate all the time you spent with us, uh, Drew. I hope you have a fantastic weekend. Thank you for your time and really appreciate you joining us today on the Grow Your Damn Business podcast. Scott, it was an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I wish you nothing but the best. Thanks, Drew. The Grow Your Damn Business podcast is hosted by Scott Goodrich, a professional EOS implementer. To learn more about EOS and how it might help grow your damn business, you can email Scott at scott.goodrich at eosworldwide.com or check out his website at www.eosworldwide.com forward slash Scott hyphen Goodrich. Thank you for listening to the Grow Your Damn Business Podcast. If you found this conversation valuable, subscribe to our YouTube channel and find us on your favorite podcast platform. We will see you next week on the Grow Your Damn Business Podcast.